Welcome to another episode of the uh, Go With John Show. Today, I am sitting with uh, Hunt Burke, and I am very grateful that you're here. Thank you for coming in. Pleasure. So, so Hunt, you are the chairman of uh, Burke & Herbert Bank, uh, the oldest continually operating bank in Virginia. So what do you tell, tell us a little bit about what you did, you know, and I've heard some of your podcasts and read some of your bios, but tell us a little bit about how you kind of grew up in the Burke and Herbert Bank and what is it like to be the chairman of this great institution? Well, it's funny. Uh, people would always ask me questions as a very young person about the bank or banking or mortgages. And I didn't know <laughs> they were asking me that when I was a kid as though that was dining room table talk at home. But of course, right. it wasn't. Uh, what happened is um, my dad had five kids, and when we got to be 12 or 13, he said, you're not hanging around the pool with all those derelicts. Everybody's got to get a job, and I chose the one where I had an automatic ride to work with him. So That was smart. <laughs> so I started uh, really running errands, and in the bookkeeping department, uh, we used to look at checks to make sure they were properly endorsed and mm -hmm. high-level stuff like that. And it took me a couple of years to become a teller. And then after that, it was, you know, branch management and operations. And I pretty much jumped in anywhere, whether it was a promotion or a raise. Um, I'd, I'd do move laterally just because I learned more and more about how the bank runs. And right. Burke and Herbert Bank was great because it's small enough that you get to see all the pieces if you work for a larger bank you might only be in one department and never connect the dots as to how it all how it all gets put together mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so was so as you were going through and working through the various positions was there any period of time or were there any positions that you enjoyed more than others i guess uh the operations part was enjoyable because you got to see the nuts and bolts but i really missed the um the public uh, the personal uh, contact with people. So I really enjoyed right. coming up through the branches and becoming a lender because you could see the difference you made in people's lives. For instance, I was talking about being young and not knowing anything. Mm -hmm. I just told people some common sense stuff and they've come back to me 40 years later and said, you know, I lived my life by <laughs> what you told me and, you know, made all this money and been successful. And I was like, wow, because <laughs> I didn't didn't uh, really know what I was talking about at the time, except again, you know, common sense. Right, right. Well, yeah, maybe you were repeating things you heard, and uh, but but yeah, that that's good. So so that you know your time. So your time as a teller, you got. I guess you had a little bit of time with the folks, right? They're coming in, making their deposits, and you have a minute or two of uh, chit chat. I actually worked at Sovereign Bank in Old Town Alexandria. I don't know if you remember that sure. bank that was there. I think it was on Washington Street. And I lived on Duke Street, so I would walk to work every That's day, great. and I did that for about a year, and uh, that got that got old. Uh, but yeah, I, I could I can see you know you you have your regular customers that come in, and uh, you get to meet them for five minutes at a time, and uh, then you you move on to the uh, being a loan officer, and you get a little deeper with them. So uh, that that is it really is all about the people, and I think we were talking before the show. That's one of the reasons why uh, I, I like to do this podcast because I've met so many interesting uh, people along the way and you like to spend time with them and, and share the story so so moving on to chairman so what, what's your what's your uh, what are your thoughts on your on your industry today and what's happening with Burke and Herbert Bank today um, actually it's very exciting um, we've got a two-year now uh, CEO mm -hmm. David Boyle and he has brought a tremendous amount of knowledge. I think he's a CFO by training and uh, an accountant. And um, 
we're really looking at numbers, trimming costs, um, getting getting ready to expand. We just opened two offices in Fredericksburg. Right. Uh, once once upon a time, I said we won't open any offices in any place named Berg, <laughs> Harrisonburg, or Leesburg, or Fredericksburg. Right. Um, but uh, that's a market very much like Alexandria. You've got the old town and, you know, sort of a sprawling suburb out from there. Right. Uh, and we've hired some folks that are bankers from that area, so they have a lot of uh, clientele already. And right. And we see that as a, a nice step uh, from where we are, where you have some branches in Prince William County. So that's a little further down. Uh, we are all banks chase the same things at the same time um it's just it's what we do uh mm -hmm. so we've gotten into c and i lending and want to you know be part of the community uh more so than making large commercial loans which is our bread and butter right um, but we really need to supplement that with um the hometown stuff you know uh loans and deposits from from local businesses mm-hmm so as chairman, are you spending a lot of time in the branches or are you now more kind of behind the scenes, um, you know, focusing on the big picture for the bank? Sort of behind the scenes. I do like to go around to the branches. Um, somebody recently said, you know, when you go into a branch, you're like a rock star. And that's a little overkill, but um, but they really enjoy seeing Mr. Burke come in and right. uh, if they know I'm coming the wife will bake cookies of the branch manager or whatever and yeah um, I don't know it's it's really fun um, been working there for 42 years now so I I used to be able to say I know everybody but with yeah. four, 400 employees and some turnover I try to keep up and um, right keep in touch yeah it's got to be tough have you ever worked anywhere else other than Burke and Herbert Bank uh, one summer, I worked for, I think it was called United Bank in California. Okay. Uh, just as a teller, I was goofing around out there. Uh, I got a good lesson. I was applying for jobs out there, and I applied for a savings and loan. And the guy said, you know, are you just here for the summer? And, of course, I lied and said, oh, no, I, you know, I want to work here. And he said, yeah. you know what? I want somebody that wants my job. Right. I'm not going to hire you because I don't think you're, you know, serious. And I was 19 years old or something. Right, right. Uh, and I remember that, obviously, to this day, I, uh, I want to hire people that want my job, that, that have potential and aren't just there to kill time or, you know, get, yeah. a, get a paycheck every two weeks. So how did you end up out in California? I have a brother that uh, graduated from UVA, and he was the one when we were growing up that didn't come to work for the bank. He works for worked for uh, Heichmann's Porsche Audi mm -hmm. as a mechanic. He sold Bibles one summer. Very mm -hmm. interesting guy. So he went out there and uh, got into banking. And one summer, I just went out and spent the summer with him in San Francisco. It was pretty fun. I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. So you ended up working at uh, United Bank as a teller, did it for the summer, and then you came back and uh, put put your roots down at uh, in Old Town. Yeah. So, so of your five, you have four brothers, right? Because your your dad had five sons. Uh, three brothers and a sister. Three brothers and a sister. Yeah. So, uh, anybody, uh, any of your other siblings involved uh, with the bank? Uh, my brother Taylor, older brother, uh, was very involved in the bank for forty years, and he's retired. Um, my brother Jim in California, he's he became a banker out there and was very mm -hmm. successful, um, but the uh, the other two. Have, have one one runs a cemetery and one's an artist. So, well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of an artist? Uh, all kinds. Um, he's really good with 
um, his hands in woodwork, and for a long time he's worked for an antique dealer out in Middleburg, right. um, restoring things and, and doing it right. And uh, Fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in your in your household uh, when you guys were all young? What was, what was that? So, so your dad was running the bank. And uh, what was the, the dinner table talk if it wasn't banking? Uh, bickering and <laughs> noisy. Typical family stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, yeah. uh, you know, he just hid his peas under his potato skins or uh, you took all the chocolate milk. I mean, I. Yeah, it, I got it, you. Uh, my dad was very community oriented and uh, he would come home about in time for dinner. So there wasn't a whole lot of. Uh, back and forth on weekends we'd hang out with him and either go somewhere or mm-hmm. my brother jim and he would work on cars we had mm-hmm. some fun cars in the driveway um but it was uh it was not a whole lot about banking it was except that one time when i was about 10 years old he said i want you to run the bank someday and i said well i've got two older brothers you know what's up with that and he said you think like i do and uh so I, you know, when people say something like that to you, it sort of, right. they plant that seed. It's sort of, you mull it over and mull it over, even if not consciously. Right, um, right. So didn't know what else to do. <laughs> right. Well, the, I mean, the interesting thing is you have genetics and then you have your, your dad who could obviously see his genetics in you and, and the way you think. I mean, it certainly, uh, it certainly makes sense. So, uh, so yeah, from a very young age, you were uh, chosen to be uh, Mr. Burke holding my fingers up in quotation marks. That's fantastic. So, so what's your favorite part about your job now? What do you do on your, on your daily uh, routine? Well, it's great because I'm not in charge of the operations. Um, I work closely with Mr. Boyle mm-hmm. and uh, we've brought on some excellent talent, which that's, I'm not that smart myself, but have been lucky enough to find some really good bankers over the years. And uh, so I uh, deal with the board of directors, mm-hmm. um, education, and looking at new directors. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite thing is coming in, going to lunch with high-dollar prospective clients or people who bank with us for a hundred years. And mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of uh, complaints about how we've changed. And you know, if if Mr. Burke and Mr. Herbert were sitting at a desk like they did in 1852. Nobody would bank with us, you know. We, right, no you've kidding. You've got to change, and our uh, our focus, in addition to small businesses, has been uh, about ten or so years ago. We did a study of our customer base, and first of all, they were uh, there was a huge return because people li- like to open a letter from Burke and Herbert Bank mm-hmm. and, and do a survey, as opposed to every survey in the world that you come across on a daily basis. Um, but what we found out was that. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but half our customers were over 50, and half of that was over 65. And so, you know, we scratched our heads and said, "We better, you know, we better right. look to the future." So, you know, we're all about now uh, mobile banking and internet banking, and mm-hmm. uh, we just got a, made a new website. So we're really trying to appeal to that younger demographic and doing a good job of it i think mm-hmm. i wonder if they understand the um you know the, the the kind of the history of the bank when they come to burke and herbert you know for me i've, I've banked with burke and herbert for decades and uh i really enjoy uh, you know, that, that's just my little piece, my little connection to a piece of history, you know, it's, uh, 
but I wonder if the youngsters know. Well, I meet all the new employees. I meet the new tellers when they're coming in. So they're, you know, 20 years old, something, something in that era. And um, one thing I tell them is that don't let anybody at this bank ever say, we always did it that way. Right. Because, again, it's, it's where we are now. The history's fun. If you ever want to come waste an afternoon with me, I'll tell you all kinds of great stories. Yeah. But, um, you know, in terms of who we are, it's you all and it's it's your customers and where we're going from here. Right, uh, right, right. All right, fantastic. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear some of those stories that you would tell me if we were wasting an afternoon together. Can we do that? Cool. Fantastic. We're here with Hunt Burke, chairman of Burke and Herbert Bank. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with uh, Hunt Burke, chairman of uh, Burke and Herbert Bank. So thanks again for coming in. I really appreciate uh, that you're here and willing to share stories with us. It's my pleasure. So, so tell us some of the so tell us some of the the the, the historical stories about Burke and Herbert uh, Bank. I've heard a few of them hanging around the branches, but tell us a little bit about the characters that that ran the bank. Uh, some of your uh, your your dad or your grandparents. Uh, what what stories do you have for us today? Well, my great great grandfather, who started the bank, um, and Mr. Herbert were in their twenties. They were just you know a couple of young entrepreneurs and. Old Town Alexandria, which wasn't the cute Old Town Alexandria. It was a lot of uh, boat builders and dock mm-hmm. workers, and a lot of ships came in with goods, and a lot of there was the railroad to take the goods out. So, very blue collar, um, but they couldn't have picked a better a better place historically. One, uh, our oldest customer is Mount Vernon Estate. Uh, run by the Mount Vernon Ladies Association, mm-hmm. and they bought it. They saw that it was in disrepair. This is uh, 1850, so uh, before the Civil War, but um, they they purchased the estate and were fixing it up, but when they purchased the estate, um, this, is, this is later, 1860 or so, I guess, uh, they put the money in Burke, they bought it from the Washington family, and mm-hmm. they banked. They were friends of the Herberts from all the way back to, to George Washington, and so they put the two hundred thousand dollars in Burke and Herbert Bank. And when the Civil War broke out, uh, Alexandria was one of the first places that the Union soldiers visited, mm-hmm. and they knew about those funds, and they came to the bank to take them. And uh, we're told that Mr. Burke wasn't there at the time, and so. He got word before he came back from lunch or wherever he was. And so when the soldiers came back, the money wasn't there, and uh, they went and searched his home and mm-hmm. went as far as his wife's bedroom. And uh, she had a wardrobe there, and the, she said, don't you want to look in my wardrobe? And, of course, the, the Yankee soldier blushed and uh, said, no, ma'am. And so the, the next day they took the funds out of her wardrobe, and uh, <laughs> there was a lady that— um, at Mount Vernon, I think her name was Miss Tracy, and she had permission to cross into Washington because she brought things over to Mr. Riggs, like uh, eggs or you know fresh fresh baked goods or mm-hmm, vegetables, mm-hmm. and um, so they tucked the money in her little basket, and she took it over, and Riggs held it for the duration of the Civil War, and then wow. uh, we brought it back over after the war. That gives me chills to hear that. That's incredible. That's a cool story. It is a cool story. So they've been banking with you ever since 1860? 
even before that, but I can't remember the exact Wow. Day. So we have a good relationship. I would say. to say. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, through the years, uh, we were involved in uh, the Depression and World War One and World War II were tough times uh, mm-hmm. in Alexandria. And um, we managed to survive with uh, the help of some very good, loyal customers who, for instance, when uh, 1933, there was a banking holiday at the end of the Depression, all the banks were closed and had to apply to reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of our depositors came in with $20,000, which in 1933 was a good piece of change, and it really allowed us right. to open back up again, uh, which we did uh, pretty much right away. The other thing that happened at that time was we went from a partnership, two guys shaking hands, we went over to Washington to reopen the bank, and they said, where are your corporate resolutions? And we said, we're a partnership. And they said, where are your partnership papers? And we said, we've run for 81 years on a handshake. Right. And uh, and it's just about 81 years. It's a little more now since we became incorporated in 1933. So now right. we have shareholders and a board of directors, and it's a little little more formal. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, so what about some of the previous Mr. Burks who were uh, running the bank? I've heard some stories. I guess was there was there one of the uh, Mr. Burks who routinely had a, a a parrot? Can you tell us who that was? Sure, that was my dad. Okay, and uh, it must have must have been after a martini lunch that he went up to G.C. Murphy's, the five and dime, and I can't imagine this, but apparently they had a parrot for sale. And <laughs> he thought that was a good idea. So yeah. he bought this parrot and got as far as our front door at home. And my mom stood there with her arms crossed and said, uh-uh, <laughs> she knew better, <laughs> not in this house. So the bank came to live, I mean, the parrot came to live at the bank and uh, it be- just became a hit. You know, whenever there yeah. was a slow news day at one of the local papers, they'd come over and interview the nutty, bank president with a parrot or if you know um, school kids were on tour or something they they'd all come in to to meet the parrot and uh it was pretty fun and, that is and fun. worth you know a billion dollars in free advertising right <laughs> so uh my dad was on the uh or the bank was on the front page of the wall street journal uh one time uh oh because we didn't have computers mm-hmm. and it was the late 70s and any new bank would have computers and we still like I did in right. the bookkeeping department, we still looked at checks. We'd have checks where the person wouldn't even have signed it, and there was no account number. Mm-hmm. But we knew from the handwriting who, you know, who the guy was. Yeah. We'd call him up and say, you need to, to sign this check. Uh, but anyways, the parrot was a lot of fun. And um, one time, uh, Dad was went over to testify in front of the, a Senate hearing on mm-hmm. banking regulation. And he went over to say that, you know, the regulations are killing us. Mm-hmm. And um, as he got over there, uh, I guess it was Jim Rand, the congressman, that said, "Where's the, where's the parrot?" And you know, <laughs> so he sent Dad back in a staff car and got Runyon and, and came back with him on his shoulder, and uh, that was a hit. And uh, was in every paper. I'm, I got we got copies of papers from Hong Kong. I mean, all over the world, Amsterdam, you know, of copies of this where they took the AP photograph and you know yeah. wrote, wrote the story. So I'm lying in bed one night on a Saturday night, late, partially asleep, and my wife elbows me, and it was uh, Dennis Miller's last night on Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and he had, had a picture up of my dad and the bird on his oh shoulder. Oh, my and goodness. Said, this is Taylor Burke from you know, Burke and Herbert <laughs> Bank, and 
the bottom line was, would you trust your money with this man? And so, you know, we thought it was great and told my dad about it. And he said, is that a good thing? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, you know, it was fun and a lot of people saw it. Yeah. Well, you got to have fun if you can't, you know, and I I think that's the key to being successful in business. You got to have fun. You got to love what you do. You got to love your you got to love the consumer of your of your product and you got to be willing to uh, be yourself, you know, and I think that's uh, that's pretty amazing. So, yeah, I guess the days of the three martini lunches, those are all in the rearview mirror, aren't they? I've just started to watch the show Mad Men that, you know, is a great show. Yeah. uh, And it's so reminiscent of that generation you know my father's generation and yeah uh we probably my kids see a lot more of me for better or for worse you know than we saw of my dad but he was out mixing and mingling and uh uh when he died there was you couldn't there weren't enough seats in the church you know because he knew everybody and Mm -hmm. that's when i learned that he wasn't my dad he he belonged you know to everybody in in the town and um as we would drive through town he would look at a building or a business and say you know, we built that building or, mm-hmm. you know, we helped that guy start his build business or whatever. And it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, he brought personality to the bank. I think my grandfather was fairly stodgy. Mm-hmm. Um, we, he didn't believe in branches. You know, we didn't make many loans. We wouldn't make an unsecured loan to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when my dad came along, uh, sort of came roaring in through the uh, 60s and 70s and of course, 80s, and then, you know, really made, put put us on the on the map as mm-hmm. far as a fun place. And then I'd go to banking conventions or whatever, and people would all say, oh, I, you know, I really love your strategy and, you know, what you all are doing. And I'd say, I didn't know we had a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you guys, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, one question that comes to mind, what, what, are, what lessons did you learn from your dad? Did you learn some, did he have some uh, wisdom that he instilled in you throughout your years working together? Yeah, uh, as you were saying about working with your mother, uh, it's tough working with a parent because Mm -hmm. uh, when we would speak about something, there's that, it's like learning to drive a stick shift automobile with your father in the seat next to you. you Right. You're just nervous that you're going to make a mistake or, or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. He he taught me about relationships with people and how important that is, and uh, uh, just the local feel of you know being in a small town and whatnot. And then the people that knew him, as we would have lunch or walk around the streets together or whatever, it was just it was uh, made me feel like this is something I could do. This is this is fun. Mm-hmm. Almost like you're the mayor. One time I was walking down the street. Uh, I'm in the 200 block of King Street, and Landini's isn't the 100 block. So we were, mm-hmm. I was walking down with somebody, and uh, after a block, she said, wow, do you know everybody in this town? And I said, I've been working on this corner since I was 13 years old. If I didn't know somebody, you know. Yeah. Well, you certainly know where to get a good Italian lunch. Oh, if, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's no place better than Landini's. Yeah, that's true. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to take another uh, quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about you and what life uh, might look like in your uh, future. Hunt Burke. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. We are uh, still chatting with Hunt Burke. And again, thanks for coming in. Really enjoying our, our conversation today. It's just one of the highlights of my life to be able to sit here and chat with you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your uh, passions uh, in life. So what do you enjoy doing uh, with, your, with your time when you're not working? I've got four daughters. And since they were young, we have tried, even when we didn't have any money, we've tried to travel as much as possible and mm -hmm. go to Cancun or fun places like that. Or uh, my wife's from California uh, one summer for uh, a month. We rented a car and just drove around the entire state of California from the Redwoods uh, and from the wine country all the way down to San Diego. And it was it's a fascinating state. It's got everything. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, from there on, we have uh, traveled. Recently, I've decided to take one daughter uh, with me on a sort of bonding trip and um, we've been to to places that are uh, bizarre and interesting to me mm -hmm. um, such as Kathmandu okay Bangkok um, yeah the south of the Philippines there's an island called Palawan which is very low population and a lot of beaches mm -hmm. uh, so uh, oh my goodness um, my wife and I last year went to Ethiopia which it was amazing. Um, the country is uh, very diverse, and um, we saw a lot of it. I meet Ethiopians, and they ask where I went, and then they say, wow, I've, I've never been to all those places. <laughs> uh, uh, we went to Botswana a couple of years ago, which was the most stunning trip of my life, being out in the middle of the plains and um, this, this delta where you would sleep at night and you'd hear lions roaring or you'd go out during the day and see leopards eating warthogs or just it was just bizarre millions. so now were you sleeping in a secure location it, it was a tent but My it was goodness. a pretty nice tent you yeah know, uh, it had big wooden doors and a brass tub kind of kind of tent we weren't roughing it uh, but one entire side was just screen uh, just a screen see i would be worried about becoming someone's dinner well, yeah, and, uh, you know, I said, um, you know, should we be worried? And they said, oh, no, you're a few meters off the ground. And, you know, an elephant could have just, like, bowled the whole, the whole thing, thing over. over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there were, of course, um, I, I want to call them crocodiles. Uh, uh, yeah, crocodiles everywhere. I, I always confuse it with alligators, mm -hmm. my, my fault. Uh, and anyway, they were everywhere, and I'd learned that the most dangerous animal is a hippopotamus, which I never thought of. I think of right. Disney and hippopotamuses and pink tutus dancing around, um, <laughs> but apparently they're very aggressive and they've got giant teeth and right. they kill more people a year than anything else. Anyway, it was it was just fascinating being out in the middle of, of nowhere. It's very uh, low volume tourism there. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're very protective of the land, the animals, you know, the, the whole nature scene. Mm -hmm. So on your annual bonding trips with your daughters, where else have you gone? I took one daughter to Tokyo, and mm -hmm. actually my wife has come along on some of these because she couldn't stand the fact that I was going to really cool places. Right. Uh, um, and that was fascinating, um, Tokyo. And they were getting ready. This is a couple of years ago. They were getting ready for the 2020 Olympics, mm -hmm. uh, and we know what happened with that. But um, it was great for us because they were making all the signs into English mm -hmm. because they're not real interested in learning English or speaking English. Um, they're sort of an insular society, and there's 
certain restaurants we went to where we didn't feel welcome at all. You know, mm-hmm. we were we were at somebody's table. You know, somebody right. in the neighborhood. Uh, but it was a fascinating trip, and uh, we got out of the city, and uh, it was um, one of the fascinating things was that the trains all ran on time, and that all the different trains and metros and everything were all coordinated, and it was beautifully done, and there were no horror stories of accidents and whatnot. So they had that they had that down pat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do you have any uh, uh, bucket list places where you still want to go? I want to go to Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, really, we've been to a few countries in Europe, but first of all, when I say uh, go someplace, I mean for two weeks. I don't mean we drove through ten cities in ten days, right. you know, and had lunch in Verona or something. That doesn't count. Um, right. You, you have to really get to know a place. So you like to go and open your suitcase and kind of stay in one place for two weeks. Yeah. My wife is a planner, so she likes to read the book and we have to go here and we have to see this. Right. When I go somewhere, I book a plane ticket and a hotel room in Bangkok and I just, I just go. Figure it out. Yeah. And the concierge says, go here. And, you know, you ask people that live there, where do you eat or, you know, yeah, uh, where do you get a $10 massage? Exactly. You got to go out and mix it up with the folks. Exactly. That's how you, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll just get on the the equivalent of the metro and get off at a stop where where everybody else gets off and you know yeah. try to figure out where they're going yeah yeah that's the way i like to do yeah. it too it's fun you don't know where the day is going to take you yeah so it's it's funny i'll just jump in and tell one quick story so a couple of years ago uh we took a road trip to see a friend of mine in new jersey and we were in the uh hotel and we had a couple hours and my wife was getting ready to go out and i have i have twin uh kids my, my son alexander was uh, 10 at the time so I said, well, let's go out and mix it up with the folks, right? And let's go see what we run into. And we went out and we, we were in Asbury Park and we started walking down the boardwalk and there was a uh, TV crew that had set up and they had lights and all this stuff. And we're like, huh, let's, what's going on here? And uh, um, so we started hanging around and asking people what's going on. And finally we got somebody who, who um, told us, oh, the governor's coming, right? And I'm like, okay, well, where are we? We're in New Jersey, okay. Phil Murphy, right? So five minutes later, Phil Murphy walks up, gets out or drives up, gets out of his car, comes walking straight over to me and my son, shakes my hand and he goes, oh, you're out with your dad today. What are you guys doing? And we're just going for a walk. And obviously he was working for votes. He had no idea we were from Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, when you go out and you just uh, look for stuff, uh, things uh, happen. So my son still talks about that today, the day we ran into the uh, governor. So the opposite side of that coin is you meet people that become friends for life, especially with Facebook and the Internet and whatnot. Um, Right. But we've met people all around the world that we've stayed in touch with. And that's pretty cool. Of course, they all they all want to come stay with us, you know. Yeah. But but, uh, immigration being what it is, it's really hard for people to get over here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's more of a European thing, you know. So, you know, we have a lot, you know, originally born born in Denmark and. We have a lot of friends in Denmark, and my wife is French, and uh, yeah, the Europeans, they uh, love to come visit, <laughs> for sure. So so let's talk about, so what is next for you? So you've been with the bank for 42 years. Uh, it did strike me when you said a few moments ago when you were young and you didn't have any money, because I made the assumption that you were just uh, um, living of the along with the wealth of the of the Burke and Herbert uh, legacy. But but uh, it's it's I think it's good to be young and not have money. I think it 
makes a, 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 a successful person out of you. Um, but so you've had your career 42 years, obviously you've been very successful. So have you had any thoughts about what you want to do uh, for the next chapter of your life? A lot of thoughts, very few answers. Um, I'm 64. So uh, I hope I don't have to, I hope they don't kick me out at, you know, age 65 on my birthday. Uh, <laughs> what is really fun for me now, uh, I could continue doing is have a little office on King Street and uh, go to lunch with folks and sort of come and go as I please and meet uh, people who want to meet Mr. Burke. Sometimes you get uh, clients that that just gives the extra edge for them to want to come bank with us because they, you know, they know the fifth generation of the founding family. So right. uh, it's kind of fun and, you know, just puttering around and being Mr. Burke and uh, getting, doing things like this, which is real fun, meeting people. Right. Um, I'll, I'll never get tired of, you know, of meeting new folks and hearing their stories and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So as, in terms of uh, what I want to do that's worthwhile, I'd, I'd love to do something that you know, gives back to the community. Um, I've been involved in a number of nonprofits over the years, but if I could find uh, a passion teaching English to younger folks or, um, I don't know, just helping people develop, helping uh, younger folks, college graduates that don't have a direction, mm-hmm. you know, um, get a direction, or people that live in the inner city of Alexandria that uh, don't have the same opportunities I'd love to uh, explore possibilities for them and make make a difference in some lives doesn't matter if it's a ton of lives but if you make a significant difference in one or two people's right. lives that's tremendously rewarding yeah I, I would I would agree with you and I feel the same way and that's one of my drivers here again on this on this uh, podcast because when you know I think back when I was younger it it just seemed impossible you know when you're when you're 19, 20, 25, even even in your in my early 30s, you know, you're looking around and you see all these people that have, uh, you know, cars and houses and great clothes. And you're like, you know, what am I doing wrong? You know, and you're just and you just feel like you can never get there. And no matter how hard you work, you're you're, you're never going to get there. And then as as you get older and you start having some success and now I'm 56 and you know, looking back, it's like it really wasn't that hard. If I'd only known I was going to actually reach this uh, this this place in my life by continuing to work, it would have made it a lot easier, you know, to work so hard when I was younger. So how do you how do you, you know, share that with folks and how do you teach it? And I, I feel strongly about that as well. And I think that's a noble uh, cause. And, you know, you know, it's funny you talk about Alexandria. When I lived, I lived in the 1100 block of Duke Street. And I used to walk down Route 1 to go to work at a competing bank back in the day. I worked there for a year. And it was in the 80s. It was not a great place in the 80s. And it's really evolved a lot. And, you know, and I, th- I, th- I think when you say the inner part of Alexandria, there's, there's, there's probably still a community that could really use your um, counsel you know, and your, and your, and your stories that would, would show them a, a way forward. So that would be, uh, that would be a good, good way to do it. So any, any thoughts about how you would actually do that? Would you form a foundation or would you just do it on your own? I think you would either do it on my own or through some of the organizations that already, already function in Alexandria, uh, to help kids. You know, there, there's so many, in fact, sometimes I ask 
why don't you all get together, you know, and cut the bureaucracy and, you know, you could all, you're all doing the same thing, at, you know, right. be at the Boys and Girls Club or the Companion Center or, yeah. you know, uh, there's all those are all sorts of organizations. Um, I'm not a certified teacher or anything like that, but it's something less formal, I think, or yeah. a group of people that wanted to, to make a difference. Not really anything as formal as a foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Besides that takes money from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, so so something along those lines. Um, my girls, young ladies, are all in different states. I'd love to go see if there's something there, you know, something cool in Colorado I could do or uh, mm-hmm. Montana that I could do to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, we all want to be helpful. Right. That's a, yeah, that's, that's good. So, so what business lessons have you learned along the way? So real early in the, in the episode today, you said – that you had given advice to some folks and they have come back 40 years later and said they um, were able to have success based on the advice that you gave. So what, what kind of tips do you have for the, maybe the young entrepreneur out there that's, that's trying to find their way in life and they need just a little bit of guidance? What would you say to these folks? The first mistake I see people make is you know, wanting to uh, open a big office and buy a nice car and, you know, uh, hire a secretary and all that sort of stuff on a new business where they don't have any revenue yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of stodgy and old fashioned and say, you know, you work out of your garage, your basement, whatever you have to do till you get up and running and you can afford all this stuff. You know, they mm-hmm. come in to get a loan to launch this, this idea, this dream. And um, that's, you know, some dreams come true and some don't. Right. So, you know, I guess the, the lesson of starting small and reasonable and what you can handle and then building mm-hmm. building from there. Um, yeah, no, I think that's good advice. And that's exactly what, what I did, right? I mean, when you have nothing except for yourself and your brain and your body, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's actually probably my favorite part in the business cycle. So I've bootstrapped several businesses and it's always fun and exciting when you start. And when you're by yourself and you're in your home or you're in your garage, if you have a bad month or if you have a bad quarter, it's really no big deal. Uh, but when you start hiring people and you've got an office, like you said, and you've got maybe you have uh, some staff and you have that overhead, you have a bad month. It's a big deal. You have a bad quarter. It can put you out of business, right? If you don't have that uh, cushion of cash in the bank to fall back on. It's so it's so important. Uh, that's really good advice. So, what other what other advice might you have for uh, entrepreneurs out there that want to um, to to grow their businesses? Uh, relationship building, and that entails um, just getting involved in community uh, projects. Um, if you're in business, the Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. you just get to meet a lot of people who are willing to help you. And, of course, want your business as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of give and take. Any any social networking and whatnot you can do is usually good. I mean, you, you make friends and they want to come do business with you and you want to do business with them. All things being equal, they'll come they'll come bank with you in my case. Mm-hmm. Um, so really it's just getting involved, whether it be in your church or nonprofit organizations, there's always people hungry for fresh bloods. <laughs> right. 
No, and and I'll t- and I'll tell you what I'm just thinking back. I'm reflecting on my own, you know, career and my own history. The Chamber of Commerce. Uh, when I when I had my company, Marketing Mania, I got involved in the Fairfax County Chamber of Commerce, and and I got on. I think it's important that you get on some committees, right? Because I think if you just join the chamber and you just show up at their, you know, kind of regular, everybody's there meetings, you're not going to build a relationship. So I I got on a couple of committees and the relationships that I built during that time, this is back in the late 90s or maybe early 2001-2 era, I still have those relationships today. And when you get on a committee with somebody, you, you build just a much deeper relationship with them and that really will last a, a lifetime. And you don't real and at the time I didn't realize it. That's one of those things where it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh yeah, get involved in the chamber and all this. But when you're doing it at the moment, you're like, am I wasting my time? And you know, you don't realize how important it really is. So those are, those are really good uh, tips. So Mr. Burke, anything at all that you wanna to add to this conversation today? Have fun, uh, bring people along, um, enjoy the experience. If, you, if you're not having fun, you're you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have a lot of money to have fun. Mm-hmm. Some of the happiest people in the world are some of the poorest people in the world, mm-hmm. um, and some of the most miserable people are all fighting about the, you know the family business or I whatever. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, looking back. Uh, I could have relaxed a lot more and, you know, become less wrapped up in, in things and spent, you know, hours at, working to late hours at night and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, when you, when you ask yourself, was that really necessary? Yeah, in a way, but um, what, is it more important than spending that time with your family and getting out a little bit more? It's the, it's, these are all cliches, but the work-life balance is huge. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I you can you can take time off and be with your family and still get your get your job done. Fantastic. And on that note, we'll we'll end our conversation today. Uh, Hunt Burke, chairman of Burke and Herbert. And again, I'm grateful that you came in to chat with us today. Thank you. Thank you, John.